Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The monthly Q&A with Eric Tivers on the ADHD Rewired podcast is coming up Tuesday, February 12th. I really enjoy our conversations, and I love the questions you provide. Go to ADHDrewired.com events for more details. And don't forget about the ADHD Essentials Facebook community, where you'll find support for parenting your child with ADHD and managing your own ADHD. Go to facebook.com groups slash ADHD Essentials community to sign up. Those links will be in the show notes. And as usual, I'd love a five-star rating and review on iTunes. If you haven't done it already, I would really appreciate your support. This is episode 58. I'm heading in a little bit of a different direction today because my episode with Jason Dulac on stress management has kind of been dancing around in my head for, I don't know, a week or two. And I was thinking about how that was a really good episode for us to manage our emotions and manage our anxiety and stress. But what about our kids? How do we help them? How do we co-regulate our kids? And so that's what this episode is going to be about. I'm just going to take a few minutes and I'm going to provide you with eight ways to help your kids manage their stress and anxiety. First, let's look at what we can do in advance. We can control the environment. Mostly, this looks like reducing sensory stimulation. Things like clutter, noise, even the temperature, right? If it's too cold or too hot. Whatever we can do, whatever pieces of sensory information we can help reduce for our kids, we should. And they can help with this, right? They can clean up clutter. They can turn the radio down. They can use Alexa maybe a little bit less. So consider those options. How can we reduce the sensory input and thereby reduce the environmental stressors? Also, let's make sure we're setting and having reasonable expectations. Maybe straight A's are not a plan. Maybe a C and everything else is an A or a B is a perfectly reasonable expectation. If that's the case, let's set those expectations and let's be clear in communicating them. It's not that we're giving up on our kid. It's that this is what we expect you to be able to do. We're not giving up on your ability to get A's. We just understand that maybe math is challenging or Spanish is challenging and it's okay to get a C in that subject. And another thing we can do in advance of a significant stress or anxiety moment is we can be clear about our own escalation. I've been working with a few dads recently who they don't really communicate their escalation very effectively. So it sort of looks like this, right? The kid leaves dishes on the table and dad says, put your dishes in the sink. Put your dishes in the sink. Put your dishes in the sink. Oh my God, why haven't you put your dishes in the sink? That doesn't work. What happens is your kid just stays anxious because they don't know when dad or mom is suddenly going to explode. They don't necessarily draw the connection between if I just put those dishes in the sink, my parents will be more chill. So instead, communicate your escalation. Put your dishes in the sink. Hey, 
didn't I already ask you to put those dishes in the sink? If you don't put those dishes in the sink, I'm going to lose my whole entire mind. I don't need to escalate significantly. I just have to communicate differently so that they know that I'm escalating, including, you know, threatening to yell or lose your whole entire mind. If we've reached the point where your kid is in the throes of fight, flight, or freeze, the anxiety, the stress is getting to them. They're either on the line or crossing it. There's a few things we can do. One, help them get grounded in reality. Help them get out of the amygdala and into the prefrontal cortex so that they're thinking more clearly and not only emotionally. You can have them name three blue things. Be pretty consistent if you use this strategy. Consistently, three blue things, three blue things. Don't mix it up with purple and sometimes it's 12 things and that kind of stuff. Be pretty consistent. Have them do something that's going to ground them sensorily in terms of the world of the senses. Maybe they're on the line and you're like, hey, why don't you go take a shower? Maybe that's something that relaxes them. The warmth of the water, the sound of the water, that might help. I know one of my kids that works pretty effectively for. And also they can just play with a fidget and kind of get into that and have that sensory experience to help ground them. It could be a worry stone. It could be a tangle, whatever makes sense. Also, help them name their emotions. How are you feeling right now? Sad. Or, hey, you seem like you're feeling a little anxious. The more specifically, the more accurately we can name these emotions, the better we're going to be in the long run. Mad is not the same as anxious. Anxious is not the same as scared. If we can sort of split the hairs and get really specific about these emotions, we're going to get a little bit further. Sometimes it's hard, right? You might not want to say to your kid, you're probably feeling kind of rejected right now because your friends didn't want to come over. That's hard. Why don't we go play Xbox or PlayStation? Sometimes it feels uncomfortable to name an emotion that's that vulnerable. And you have to read your kid. Maybe it's a good plan to name that emotion. Maybe it's not. You know your kid better than I do, but this is a strategy that might be useful. And finally, reflective listening is huge. Reflective listening is listening to what they're saying. You're not waiting patiently for your turn to talk. You're listening to what they're saying. And then repeat it back to them a little bit. If they say, it's stupid that Tommy can't come over. You can say, all right, so you feel like it's pretty stupid that Tommy's not allowed to come over today? Yeah. Just by repeating it back to them, not like a parrot, I rephrased that a little bit and I changed my tone of voice. But by repeating it back to them, we're validating what they've said. They know they've been heard. That's really powerful. This is especially useful for the kid who just won't leave you alone and keeps talking and talking and talking. They don't feel like you're listening. Use some reflective listening skills in there. That will help them disconnect. And now our final two come in the aftermath of the stress or anxiety moment. The kid is done being angry. The kid is done being sad. The argument is over. The kid has crumpled up his homework and thrown it away, but we've kind of gotten to the other side of that. Now we need to move into forgiveness. And it can be hard because we might feel offended. We might feel frustrated. But we have to get out of that. We have to get out of our amygdala and be the leader because we're the parent. And we have to let our kid know they're forgiven. That helps them return to the parent-child relationship. And it also helps them forgive themselves for their behavior. There's lots of ways that you can do this. It might look like giving them a glass of chocolate milk. It might mean you give them a hug. It might be giving them space for a little while and then 
calling them over to play a board game or have dinner later. It might mean literally saying, hey, pal, I'm sorry we got in an argument. I didn't like it either, but I still love you. I forgive you for what you said. Again, that forgiveness is huge for helping them let go of all of the negative emotions that they have as a result of whatever that heated moment was about. And finally, we want to fix it. We want to figure out what led to that conflict, what led to that anxiety, and help our kids come up with solutions to avoid that in the future and take our responsibility for it if we played a role. This forgiving and fixing side is really important because if we don't do this back-end stuff, if we don't do these aftermath strategies, then our child's baseline anxiety increases and the conflicts happen more easily because they're carrying that lack of forgiveness and that lack of an understanding about how to avoid that problem in the future with them. And that extra weight ups their anxiety. So we really want to make sure that we apply these final two steps. I hope that was useful. One last side note, the episode previous to this with Ari Tuckman, if you downloaded that episode right away, there might be some audio issues. I have since fixed that and re-uploaded it. So you should be all set. Thank you to the people who informed me about those little audio glitches. Everything should be better now. Just download the episode again. Have a great week. You'll hear me next Friday. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.